Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ollie Hayes got a phone call from somebody with an English accent saying they were from the Sunday Mirror in, in London and they, you know, wanted to find out about the President's visit. Ollie kind of said, you know, he didn't know anything and he knew nothing and didn't know anything about that and kind of said no comment. He thought, he thought afterwards that was maybe a test to see if he could be trusted by the Secret Service. I'm Nicola Talent and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. They are the black-suited operatives whose role is to protect the President of the United States and if Joe Biden's plans to visit Ireland this summer come to pass they will be crawling around the highways and byways of the country to make safe his passage. But the Secret Service are no strangers to Ireland and they've had a few bemusing encounters here in the past in scenes which could often fit in an episode of Father Ted. Now in her new book, The Green and White House, journalist Lynn Kelleher brings together the incredible stories around the seemingly seamless visits of US leaders to their ancestral birthplaces in often rural outposts across Ireland. From the visits of Nixon to Obama, she tells me about the hilarious run-ins of the Secret Service agents with bemused locals from Ballyporeen to Timahoe. About the Aaron Cardigan, which was almost central to a controlled explosion. And about a chatty hotel manager whose wry joke nearly sparked a major security scare. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Lynn, I was going to ask you, first of all, um, something that may be of use to all of us at some point in our life, but how do you dig up an eighth cousin? It's actually quite complicated. So the lady who dug up uh, Barack Obama's eighth cousin, and I think it actually could be sixth cousin, technically, but I think he loved the Henry VIII thing, um, was a lady called Megan Smileniak. And she would have been on Who Do You Think You Are? She's a really renowned American genealogist. So she... When, when Barack Obama was going for election, she decided to look into his roots. Occasionally people would pop up that would interest her and she started looking into his roots. And she didn't know there was an Irish 
there wasn't any hint that there was an Irish connection. He didn't know and she didn't know. And she actually has Irish connections herself, so she would have had a bit of interest. And she was sort of going back to the family tree and she came across these carnies in Ohio. And so she was doing a bit of digging into that. And it's actually, it's a bit like detective work, the, the genealogy. You know, there's lots, they look at shipping records, they look at, so in his case, his name was Falmouth Kearney, his great, 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 a few greats, grandfather. And Falmouth was a really unusual name. And so they're on the shipping records and then there was two people beside him. And unusually as well, it had put on the shipping records that he was going destined from Ohio. So when these other Kearneys came up in Ohio, there was a bit of a process, but they linked them back to Ireland, but the, the real clue in it was often when the um, the Irish Americans were buried in America, they would put on their um, gravestones where they were originally from. And on in the case of um, Fal McCarney's father and his brother, they had put Moneygall. So that was in this Ohio cemetery, Moneygall, and it was Kings County, which was back then was what Offaly was called. So then she knew oh, well, we've got this parish. And then there was 13 churches, I think, in the parish. And then she had to do kind of detective work with that and then go back and get the birth cert. So that was how it was. It, it's a lot of work to it. And she's really, really highly respected, this lady. Um, she works, you know, she works for the government over there. She also did President Biden's ancestors. So when she gets somebody, it's it's pretty certain. So she went back to Barack Obama's people to tell them that she had uncovered this Irish link. Yeah, she had done up his whole family tree. Well, she was at the time she was working for Ancestry.com. And once she kind of got this Eureka moment, uh, she I think she published an article on it. Oh, and it was the the, the headline on the article was Obama, like O apostrophe Bama, you know, something to that effect. Um, and then he he kind of got interested in it. But he was going for election at the time and then kind of into the when he was in when he was in um power then 2012 I think that's when he kind of announced the the Irish visit because they, they're always going over like the St. Patrick's Day is a standing thing in the White House anyway so as soon as they kind of find out that there's a, a relation and I think in his case it was a real surprise it wasn't kind of in the he's from Hawaii and he's a really interesting background I read his book Dreams of My Father the mother was from kind of uh, the Midwest around that Hawaii uh, Ohio area and then they had moved to Hawaii so the Irish thing really, I think they kind of have thought they'd Scots relatives. They knew there was some kind of immigrants in the background, but they didn't know the Irish link. I'm sure he was delighted with the Irish link, as all presidents who discover it are. Yeah, I think he was delighted. But I think also with uh, Obama, just from reading his book, he was because he grew up in Hawaii. He had um, a white mother and a black father. He took him years to find his father. He kind of did this um, pilgrimage back to, to Africa. So he was very interested in his roots. And then he, he also, he, his mother married an Indonesian man. So he spent a lot of time in Asia. So he was, he was very, very, he kind of did this big thing when he was in his 20s of going back and see, meeting his half-brothers and sisters and all that kind of thing. So I think it was more than just, at that stage, it's not really a vote-getter. I think he genuinely mm-hmm. was very interested in his background because of, of, of the whole mixture of his genealogy. So enter Henry Healy and ultimately the Secret Service visit to County Offaly, which is very entertaining. And one of the many stories in your book, Green and White House, which um, gives us this sort of theatre really of what happens when these presidents come to Ireland. Um, so tell us a little bit about Henry Healy 
and what happened to County Offaly that will be remembered forevermore. So Henry Healy was watching the nine o'clock news with his mother and they saw that it came up on the news that uh, Barack Obama was linked to Carney's and Money Gall. And they were kind of saying to themselves, Jesus, his mother said, well, I think we're related to a Carney. And then they rang a few relations and the kind of a bit of a discussion. And then they, they realised that they were related and that he was this eighth cousin. And then, you know, the the, the visit was announced and uh, he was the Carney in Monegal. So there was other relations outside, had moved outside Monegal, but he was kind of, so he kind of became the, he, he was very interested in in uh, this young senator who was running for president as well at the time he kind of followed it. So he became kind of the unofficial spokesperson for the town. And and what did he do or what, what does he do? Well, he, he ended up uh, working in tourism and then he ended up working in the Barack Obama Plaza since. And now he, he has another job. Um, but yes, at the time... So he had an uncle called Ollie Hayes. Now, Ollie Hayes wouldn't have been related to Obama at all. He was on the other side of the family. So he was his uncle and he owned the pub and the place. And uh, so the whole town kind of got, there was a, there was an announcement. And the first they kind of heard of it was Ollie Hayes was sitting in his pub one afternoon and these American kind of Secret Service guys come in and they say they are part of the the air squad. You know, they're part of the the they're arranging the helicopters and all of that for the visit. And they kind of ask, can he bring them around, you know, to look for suitable landing spots? Because the thing with the Secret Service is they they go ahead. They go ahead maybe two or three months beforehand or maybe weeks beforehand and they case out the place. And what's gas about Ireland is it's it's always these tiny villages that the presidents are from. And they're never really from Dublin or Cork. It's always like a really rural place so the GA field always tends to get used so the, the helicopter lands there or a graveyard or a field or somewhere in the middle of nowhere and they have to kind of so I'd say the Secret Service it's it's a culture shock for them and then it's a culture shock for the Irish people who are seeing these Americans come in and they look like I've seen pictures of them they look exactly like they would in the movies they have the ears pieces they have the sunglasses they have like in the 70s with Nixon and all that the trench coats and uh, they're, they're always like suited, booted. They always look really well. So, they, you know, they, they're, they I think it's probably... They look like something out of a Bond movie, don't they? Well, they are like something out of a Bond movie. They're the real Bond yeah. movie. And they have all the, you know, the, there's huge preparation in terms of communications now. And there's, you know, kind of making communications secure. And then there's air, making the airspace secure. And then there's the physical protection. So there's huge... Uh, forward planning that goes into it and they're, they're casing out threats. So they went into to Ollie and... Um, it was decided, sorry, Henry Healy obviously got in touch and they were all put in touch. He was identified as the nearest relative he had here in Ireland and Ollie Hayes's bar was identified as a place that Barack Obama could visit and that was for the famous pint of Guinness that he, he was to be photographed having this pint of Guinness in his kind of ancestral home. Yes, and uh, Ollie's pub, so he had the pub in, in, the, in the town um, so that was where the visit he was going to go Brack was going to go in there and have a pint that was the kind of what was decided to do um, and they have these four four planners so these guys come in they sussed out the airspace they kind of sussed out the pub and then afterwards they'd gone and they said they'd be back and uh, Ollie Hayes got a phone call from somebody with an English accent saying they were from the Sunday Mirror in, in London and they you know wanted to find out about the president's visit and Ollie kind of said 
you know, he didn't know anything and he knew nothing and he didn't know anything about that and kind of said no comment. And then he thought, he thought afterwards that was maybe a test to see if he could be trusted by the Secret Service. He didn't, no one ever told him exactly afterwards, but that, that's what he thought. And then they started arriving in, um, you know, with, with the weeks, with the weeks coming up to the visit, then the whole town got a makeover. Like Julux came in and painted the whole town. And the kind of common theme with, with, with these visits is they get new roads, they get new telecommunications. You know, and then in Nixon's case, there was a guy waiting for a phone for 20 years. And all of a sudden he got it and he was delighted and he had a Dublin number, you know, as opposed to a Kildare number for two weeks. So there's huge preparations that go into it. Um, and also then, the, you know, each 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 house in Moneygall was kind of was sussed out by the Secret Service. When you say sussed out, like, I mean, the Secret Service are essentially in place to protect presidents. And I think you detail in your book because so many of them have been lost and, and assassinated. They are targets, American presidents in a way. I suppose very few other political leaders would be. But how do they suss out the houses and, and you know, how are they kind of, do they just literally arrive on your door? What they do. And they come in with sniffer dogs. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of the day before there's a whole sniffer dog kind of a thing. But they'd be around for, they'd be around for six weeks. They're nailing down manhole covers. They're, I don't know what they're doing with the airspace. They're doing, you know, and there's huge, there's the communications. Ollie Hayes' kitchen was taken away for two weeks. He'd eat in the sitting room with his family because it was, each place is kind of made into a, a mini communications place for the White House so they can directly contact the White House. Like a mini war room as such, we'd sort of mm. describe it as maybe. Maybe a situation room. That's what they say in the movies, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like a situation room. So that's turned into like a control room that you can directly access the White House. And I suppose, you know, more and more modern times, then it's the communications, the, the cyber security has yeah. to be you know, hugely secure for if he needs to make phone calls to White House, if he, you know, something happens around the world. So uh, Ollie Hayes' kitchen was it for for that visit. Um, and did he mind vacating his kitchen and having to eat his dinner on his knee for the few weeks? Or was he just so excited that Barack was coming in for the pint that he would have suffered anything? No, he thought it was gas. He was so funny. He, yeah, he he just, sure, it must be so exciting to have these yeah. secret service people come in. <clears throat> and the thing that comes across as well is they all seem to be lovely. You know, I think they get very close to the presidents. I mean, that's their job mainly is protecting the presidents, the vice presidents, president elects. That happened after Bobby Kennedy got assassinated and their families. So they seem to be a particular kind of a person, but there seems to be a real fondness for them from the people who've met them. Um, mm. and, and they and they're very thankful to the people who they come in, you know, they'll, they'll be saying, thank you so much for giving me the kitchen and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, sure, he was invited back to the, to the White House then a load of subsequent times. But yeah, so that's that's what they'll do. They'll, that, that communications thing is one thing. Then all the houses were, say, checked out in Moneygold for firearms. And I think there was one, obviously in Ireland, we don't tend to have firearms, but there was one family who, who got into a bit of a tizzy because they had an old IRA you know, not from I think the back in the twenties, you know, an heirloom, civil, sort of. an heirloom kind of a gun, so that had to be kind of spirited out of the, out of the the area for a few weeks. 
they would literally, they'd be camped in, the, like, each house, I think, in Monegal had their own officer just before he arrived. Every house was sniffer-dogged before he, he came. You know, there's a ring of steel, like, literally put mm. around them. And the excitement must have been something else. So just remind us what happened that day when he, he made, he put Monegal on the map, didn't he? And, I mean, I still sort of find it amusing when I drive past the Obama plaza, the Barack Obama plaza, the garage <laughs> that I often call in to, to refuel <laughs> either myself or the car. But um, he really made Moneygall famous. Oh, he did. Yeah, he totally put it on the map. Um, so the, well, the morning of the of the visit, I think it was Ollie who was kind of nervous. And, you know, the Secret Service man said, you know, listen, he gets up in the morning you know, he puts on his clothes, he has a shower, he does everything like the rest of us, so just treat him like a normal person. And, you know, he kind of put him at ease. And they arrived then on the Marine One as the helicopter, uh, to, 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 usually to a field, and then they came out. And he went into his kind of ancestral home. He went that, That's still there, that would have been, you know, the Carney's ancestral home. Um, and Henry was in there with him. And he said he kind of got quite emotional, kind of looking at it. He got a bit, the press weren't in there at the time, but he said he got a bit teary, kind of looking at that's where the fireplace where my ancestors would have left from. Uh, and then they went into the pub and then there was it seemed to be a really jovial atmosphere. I mean, the the uh, they comment on how magnetic their personalities were. And then a few people commented on on their their chemistry together, the two Obamas and they came in and they, um, you know, had a pint. And then I think after the press went, then they went behind the bar and Michelle pulled a pint with Ollie. You know, they were delighted to have the place for themselves and just have a bit of normality. And they did a really long, um, they go down the line and they they, yeah. they they shake hands with with people. But I think that was one of the longest ones that they ever did. And I think it had rained. It often rains during these visits. I think. <laughs> there's usually, you know, there's usually showers. That, that certainly happened with the Reagan visit. Your man was just commented there was always inclement weather. So it's a bit of a skill then of the Secret Service to, I mean, clearly they're not doing, and I remarked to you earlier that often in the reports of these presidential visits and the Secret Service stories that you'd read, it's remarked that it's like an episode out of Father Ted. As you say, they're landing in GAA fields, they're going in and out of people's homes who are in, you know, just completely stunned to see these guys black suits, black glasses at their doors. Um, so it, it's a serious job they're doing, but they also have to manage to stay somewhat in the background while providing that level of security so something natural can occur. So the presidents can talk to these people who are ordinary people and have a bit of warmth with them. Yeah, that definitely comes across. And I think just if you look back over the history of it, just a little bit like with the Secret Service, the, the presidents never wanted them. I mean, the original presidents used to walk to inaugurations. I think Thomas Jefferson walked to the inauguration itself. It was only kind of came in in 1901 when there was there was uh, two assassinations that they... Lincoln, who was assassinated, was very resistant towards it, but he had mm. a bit of protection. But his officer had... He was at a play when he got assassinated and his officer had gone off to watch the play, apparently. So he was kind of left him unguarded and he got shot. But so they were resistant to it. And it's kind of become more and more and more, you know. And I think after Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, then the president elects, and then there was the families, and then there was the vice president. And now I think the it, it's if you're running for president, and then also there was a bit of after you become 
leave the office. You're, you're mm. protected now for the rest of your life. There was at one stage, it was 10 years. And then I suppose after JFK was assassinated, there was originally, it was a few years that Jackie Kennedy would get protection and her family. And then that there was legislation for that. So the whole thing is that the presidents, they try and make it as natural as possible, you know, to have these people living with you and and in your space. But at the same time, they, they do, they absolutely need it. And it's, it's become more and more over the years, you know, mm. as the threats have That's- increased. Yeah, particularly the threat the threat of terrorism has increased for for America. Um, they carry their firearms presumably when they're here and when they're they're allowed to carry their firearms. That's something that is arranged. They would all have firearms. Um, yeah, uh, during the Nixon vi- visit, actually, he he arrived and arrived into Shannon Airport, and then he stopped off in Limerick. And the thing with them as well is there's huge motorcades. I mean, there could be. 30 vehicles, there's press buses behind them, then there's outriders on the, you know, on the motorbikes. And when Nixon arrived, it was like the Vietnam War was raging at the time. He wasn't very popular at home. And he arrived into this village called Hospital, just the name of the village in in County Limerick. And he was going, you know, they were all out with their stars and stripes. And I think he was just delighted to see loads of support. So he got the car to stop and the crowd kind of surged forward. And I was talking to one of the men who was the steward on the day and he said, you know, the crowd had surged forward to shake hands with him. And he himself and this other guy kind of boosted Nixon, but they gave him a chairlift like up on top of the up on top of the car. And but in 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 it was around in that crush or throng or whatever, or a few minutes later, one of the Secret Service men's firearm, which I was told afterwards was an Uzi submachine gun dropped on the ground into the kind of the gutter between the footpath and the road. And um, there's two stories about what happened next. There's one story that one man picked it up and kind of went, oh, you know, look what I found. And and uh, there's another story that it was passed to a few people, you know. I suppose Irish people are so unused to firearms, they think that's yeah. gas. You know? <laughs> look what I have. <laughs> Hand it back to the man over there in black. <laughs> so eventually a guard kind of came over and said, you know, give me that. <laughs> <laughs> took it off him and it was a very stressed out looking secret serviceman I've pictures of them actually uh, during that hospital uh, visit and, and they are they do look a bit squashed and stuff with the crowd right. coming towards towards them and he shook everybody's hand there for ages um, and I mean afterwards in a press conference he said he'd never you know his hand was sore afterwards he'd never shaken so many people's hands and then he had, he, he was late for the the dig- he was supposed to have this kind of uh, formal welcoming to the town with these dignitaries, and that completely got bypassed because he because of what had happened. Uh, but yeah, I think there was kind of a red faced secret service man that day. No doubt. So Nixon stayed in Kilfrush House, is it outside hospital when when he was there? And some funny incidents happened, which you've recounted in the book. Tell us about that. He stayed in Kilfrush House, which is a, a horse stud outside this village of hospital, and it was owned by a tycoon called John A. Mulcahy who was a a Republican donor and he was a friend of Nixon he had kind of exchanged letters with him and they they had developed a friendship over the years and this guy John A. A. Mulcahy had left Ireland um, around the time of the Civil War he'd actually been arrested um, as an IRA messenger I think and he he was young he was he was imprisoned for a year or so and then he, he kind of escaped execution and got on the boat from Cove and then went to America. And his first job actually was with Prescott Bush, which is 
George Bush's grandfather. So it's just an interesting. And then he became mm. a hugely successful millionaire and he, he in the steel industry. And then he came back here and he bought places like Ashford Castle. And then he had this place, Kilfrush House. So it was kind of a, a stud. And it when when Nixon was was going up for election, he kind of was invited him to Ireland. And Nixon said kind of his first chance that he would get, he would come over to Ireland and, and visit him. And he, yeah, so he arrived, the, stu- the stud was being done up in the weeks before he arrived. So they, the usual thing with hospital, you know, the, the village of hospital, they were all the manholes were nailed down and the ditches were sussed out by the secret servicemen. But they turned this Kilfrush house inside out because he was staying there for two days. So everything, all the staff were, were checked out. They were, you know, the, the, the they have food staff as well. So all his meals were were it was chefs in there looking at the the food as it was being cooked and checking it, and there was a why in case somebody would poison him. Yeah, and did they taste it beforehand? Well, they certainly watch it. Yeah, they certainly watch what's you know, or, or sometimes they cook themselves, but they certainly watch what's what's being cooked. There's the food and beverage people. They they they, they when they have the pints as well, they would examine that. You know, there's there's nothing is left to chance. The place was completely, so the, again, the communications place, the situation room was placed in this Kilfrush stud. And the Secret Service, when I think there was, uh, when he was staying in his bedroom, there was three three different ones on the stairs and outside his room and they'd switch positions and all that kind of thing. So they were there for two days. And Henry Kissinger, you know, he we, we often hear of him, but he was at the time, he was over in Paris, um, negotiating a peace settlement with Vietnam. It was still ongoing. There was kind of, there was behind the scenes talks and then there was kind of public talks. So he flew in and in, you know, in the, in the sitting room of this Limerick horse stud, they were having these negotiations about Vietnam. There was Henry Kissinger and Nixon and I think a few other people. And then they had, um, you know, they had a dinner party that night. And the guy I spoke to, Kevin Mulcahy was the son of John A. Mulcahy and he was saying, you know, there was kind of two dining rooms um, and he was with Henry Kissinger. He loved Henry Henry Kissinger. He said he was the funniest man he'd ever been with and he was really uh, funny at imitating people. And then Nixon was in next door, but he was quite relaxed, Nixon was, because he knew this guy, John A. Mulcahy. Um, He was a friend of his and he, you know, sat down and had by the fire and he was given some Irish whiskey and it was all very relaxed. No wonder they like coming if they get that sort of a, I mean, I'm sure if you're president of America, you don't get very many times that you can relax like that somewhere outside the White House. Um, so John A. Mulcahy also owned Ashford Castle. And I think 14 years later, Re- Reagan came to Ireland. Now, he had been shot at that stage in the first few months of his presidency. So there was kind of probably not that relaxed atmosphere, Lynn, was there that when Nixon came, was it? Was there, had they ramped up the Secret Service, the security that they needed to put in place for Reagan? Oh, yeah, it was huge. Um, there was tanks in, um, in Ashford Castle in the, in the farmyard of it. There was, I think there was maybe 1,400 Secret Service and Irish police all around Ashford Castle. The, you know, the lakes around the castle were secured. The, the front entrance was secured. It was huge security. All the guests had to go. You know, there was nobody but the, the Reagan party there. So they paid to buy out the whole hotel, really, for Reagan. I'm sure they did. Well, John A. Mulcahy, again, who was who was a Republican supporter, owned 
that and was yeah. there and welcomed him. Um, so I don't know how what worked with that. I think they were they were any guests that were due to come were were put out into surrounding hotels. Mm-hmm. And what sort of things did they go through in Ashford Castle, an ancient property with certainly many antiques and bits and bobs that probably hadn't been touched for years? There were, there's mad things that happened. I mean, there was a bed specially made for him, for Ray, because he was very tall. So he used to have beds specially made. That was just one detail. And I, th- I think then the bed was too high because they said Nancy's legs wouldn't hit the ground. So they had to saw the, the legs and make them a bit lower. There was an ancient desk that was there from the Guinness family, I think. And they could never open this desk. It was locked. But the Secret Service managed to unpick the lock of this desk Um and there was, a, there was a really funny story about Ashford Castle in when he arrived. He see, he flew in and he flew in on Marine One kind of over the turrets of the castle and landed on the front lawn and went met um, the hotel manager and, and the children, the Mulcahy children and the hotel manager's children, Rory Murphy. It's a, a lovely man. I spoke to him and they went in and there was a press conference then and the press were flown in on a helicopter and he said he remembered you know this ramp coming down and all these reporters running out onto the lawn and they were having the press conference and then there was a bit of a kerfuffle in the background at one of the lakes and there was a bit of flapping and these two divers came up these American divers who were secret service and it was um a salmon that right but they had installed these anti-terrorism nets in the, in the in the river you know to stop people coming up the river into the, right. and and it had caught salmon but apparently by the time he left it was a bumper catch of salmon there was loads of yeah. salmon caught in these nets you know looking to catch terrorists people were being served salmon pate salmon on brown bread poached salmon etc cetera, etc cetera, on the menu in Ashford Castle probably for weeks afterwards weeks afterwards and they were they were so um was so he had been there had been an assassination attempt on Reagan and he was kind of a real character in a way because he 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 said afterwards his famous quote was honey I forgot to duck you know to his wife and he he was very kind of good humoured about it so they had yeah so he there was huge huge security but they didn't deem they never deemed there was any threat from the Irish uh, groups terrorist groups like the IRA or the loyalists it was deemed to come from abroad, the Middle East. Well, of course, the IRA were kind of liked the US presidents is really and the, the US funding that they were getting and still can get um, from there. So there was it's funny when you think that in a country that was so steeped in terrorism at that time that there was no threat whatsoever. I mean, the IRA would probably have protected Reagan if they got a chance. <laughs> They um, would have. They would have, absolutely. What about Rory Murphy and his unique Irish sense of humour and how it nearly backfired on him? Oh, yes. So Rory Murphy was the manager of Ashford Castle and had this booklet that was signed by uh, President Kennedy and it belongs to Mayor Galway and he was asked to get President Reagan's signature. So he went up to the suite of rooms where President Reagan was staying and he was waiting outside for the signature and he was standing next to this tall man who had a large black bag with him. And he kind of noticed, he got nervous waiting and he presumed he kind of held the nuclear codes. So in the silence, he said, is that the important bag with all the codes? And he said, what would happen if I just tried to steal it? And he said, sir, I'd have to shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> 
mine an absolute lesson of why it's sometimes better to say nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that verbal diarrhea that you get when you're nervous. <laughs> and he kind of smiled, but the, the guy did smile. And, uh, you know, Rory was saying to me afterwards, he was going to think, do you say when you're nervous? Yeah. <laughs> what happened if I ran away with that? Um, did something happen with an Aaron Cardigan in a pub on, on the Reagan visit as well? Yeah. So after he after he was in Ashford Castle, so Ballypore Eden was the big news. This was the huge deal. His his relations were from were found to be from outside Ballypore And there was huge preparations that went on in Ballypore um, with the, the, the O'Farrells. That's the, the pub, Mary O'Farrell is who I was speaking to. And they changed the name to the Ronald Reagan pub beforehand. But there was you. <laughs> did they? So when, they did. They did. They did. And it actually, I'll tell you, well, it, the pub ended up years after, after President Reagan died, the entire pub, his, a friend of his called into the, the, the O'Farrells. And, you know, I think it was a week or two after he died and they were having a chat. Anyway, what transpired afterwards was the whole pub was transported over to America to his museum. So now it sits under the real nose of one of the Air Force ones and underneath it is the O'Farrell's pub. And it has all, I was speaking to another one of the, the local residents and he was saying like, he was he went over to visit this museum and all their pool trophies, you know, these plastic little pool trophies and all that, everything is there. All the stools they sat on, the whole thing is just inside in this museum in America. Because he came once for a pint. He came one for, once for a pint. and But he had said afterwards, he wrote them a letter before he got Alzheimer's or I think he was around the time he was getting Alzheimer's. This would have been after his visit. And he said, you know, lots of presidents have bridges and statues and things named after them. He said, I had a pub named after me. Now that's class. You know, so he, he was very tickled by it that he had the pub named after him. So Ballyporeen, their their gas town, they um the first inkling of this was Mary O'Farrell was sitting in her pub with her husband, and these four people come in. And one of them is from this to Brits Genealogical Society. And they explain, they have all these papers about the, the, with the family tree and they explain that Ronald Reagan is related to his great-grandfather who is buried down the road. And so th- this, this is the immediate connection and they go and visit the graveyard. And then Ballyporeen went into overdrive. They, the pub was called the Ronald Reagan pub within six weeks. They used every St. Patrick's Day, they had these parades, you know, marching up and down in the rain. And uh, so th- there was huge anticipation that he would come to Ballyporeen. I think he was about two years into and then it was finally announced. But first of all, one of the local councillors, uh, Con Donovan, had been watching, he'd been watching the news and he just got it, he kind of guessed, he, he was watching Sky News and he saw something that Reagan was coming over for something else to Europe around this time. And he went to his council meeting in Tipperary and said, you know, that he thought that they might have news in a week. He was all very mysterious. And then there was a big headline in the local paper, you know, the councillor knows something or something to this effect. <laughs> <laughs> and a week later, uh, it was announced, you know, and then they were on for the, U- the U.S. Embassy to, to Con Donovan's house. And they were asking, you know, how the hell did you know? Do you have a line to the White House? But he, he just guessed. But they got huge publicity out of it. I think it was, they, were in, they were in the Wall Street Journal. There was the biggest circulation paper in Japan. This guy came over 
And he got a taxi down from Dublin. They couldn't believe this. And he had a taxi waiting for like four hours while we went round, you know, on the meter. And they were they were on the front page of this Japanese magazine. It's Mario Farrell's. <laughs> they couldn't read it, obviously, because it's Japanese, but they could see Belly Purim and O'Farrell's. You know, <laughs> That's all like, that mattered. <laughs> yes, great. And uh, Germans, the German papers were over. They were like literally on the map. Like Wall Street Journal had a map from and they had America, you know, I think Washington and then this little tiny dot with Ballyporeen, you know, they literally and one of the um, local men from Ballyporeen was in the, the stock exchange and he nearly fell over, you know, having his morning cup of tea in his paper and <laughs> at his village that was, was put on the map. And then it became uh, Neil Donovan's very funny, the councillor's son, because they were they were in the local shop and they sold everything kind of from anchors, you know, in those shops to every single thing. And it became the Sunday drive capital of Ireland. He said it was back when, you know, you didn't have much to do on a Sunday. I don't even think the matches were were aired on a Sunday. And you'd pile the kids into the car with a bag of potatoes and a bottle of lemonade and you'd go for a drive. So everybody was going to Ballyporeen because this was a huge thing that, you know, President Reagan's ancestors were from there. So, he, yeah, he eventually, the, the announcement was made and then they arrived. And uh, Barbara Riggs then was the, she was one of the first women Secret Service agents to really rise up through the ranks. She protected, I think, six presidents. It's like something out of a movie, you know, you'd hear I protected Ford and Carter and Reagan. And I think she ended up as nearly deputy head of it eventually. But so they would they would be going around doing the manhole covers, um, securing the place, securing the pub. And the night before the the visit, Mary O'Farrell, so she's in this very rural country pub and she's a real character she's she's a, you know she's very funny at telling these stories she had had a baby you know like kind of six weeks beforehand and they they'd had all the white house um staff in this michael deaver had come in by the helicopter with a load of white house staff to to, to ensure that they were prepared for the visit and he kind of said eventually you know mr farrell i think you're pr- prepared so he, he he had cased They'd driven around the country. He went around with this ambassador, Sean Donnan, and they had sussed out all the places that they'd go to. So they were, at one stage, he was kind of like, um, Reagan's more like the movie star, he is the movie star president, but that's Mm. what his visit is. That would be the feel of it, you know. And this guy, Michael Deaver, apparently used to, he he was his chief of staff, but he had a real eye for a photo shoot or for a a good backdrop. And when they got to um, the Rock of Cashel, he was with the ambassador, Sean Donlan, and he kind of got a strike of inspiration. And he said, God, you know, imagine we got the Pope here to say mass for <laughs> President Reagan. And the Pope had raised, he had actually, they kind of bonded a bit because he had recently survived an assass- assassination attempt as well. So there was overtures made to the Vatican. Would the Pope come to say mass? And it was denied. And Mary O'Farrell must have been, while she was told by the Secret Service that she was finally prepared to have Reagan into her pub, a woman who's just had a child six weeks previous, I'm sure, had other things on her mind. She was very capable. She was an elocution uh, teacher and her, her husband. The two of them seemed to be, I mean, they, they had more interviews. They they become so, like, they, the world's media literally camped on their doorstep for two years. Uh, they had the Irish press up and down like yo-yos. They had, you know, American press. Everyone's kind of interested in this. So they had done... I mean, at one stage, I think they had to put a sign up in the village to say, you know, can't do 
we could only do so many interviews a day, a day <laughs> because they, they were getting so much attention. So, but she had it all under control and the agents were there. And um, the night before, the day before, uh, one of the neighbours had come up or one of the local people had come up with this box and there was an Aaron cardigan which had been knitted for the president. And there had been presents put there, but they'd all been um, looked at by the Secret Service. But this... Aaron Cardigan anyway and she was kind of saying well I don't know if we can take the Aaron Cardigan because it's not vetted and he said but sure look you'll do your best and kept putting it into her hands and so she put it into the kitchen now that she had a lot of relations staying that night because they were you know going to be there was a few sisters-in-laws and brothers and two of them were in this bed in the kitchen and the box was put in the kitchen um, and then she went up to bed that night and you know she was lying in bed in the middle of the night going over everything and she sat up bolt upright and went you know oh Jesus the box there could be anything in that she just decided you know she kind of and so she said I better check it you know we don't know what's in it and she had to go down the stairs but there was an armed guard either from the Irish or an Irish armed guard or a, a secret serviceman so she made loads of noise coming down the stairs so that you know she wouldn't be she wouldn't wouldn't be suspicious and she, she wouldn't get shot probably she wouldn't Sensible get shot woman. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so she had explained to him that there was a box a package you know, <laughs> sounds terrible i'm sure to the secret service man or the armed guard looking after the place there's a package and we don't know what's in it and it's in the kitchen and he said well you'll have to go and get it so it was brought out then and it was examined and uh after a bit of to do, it was decided, you know, it was found out that it was just an Aaron Cardigan. And it was decided probably that the greatest crime and offence that the Aaron Cardigan could, co- could cause would be itching President yeah. Reagan. Had he ever put it on him like those Aaron Cardigans had a tendency to do so? Um, the Clinton visit, which kind of was maybe in our time in journalism, and I do remember Clinton up in Belfast and meeting the late, great Seamus Mallon up there. And he was most amused that the Secret Service agents had come into his office and they had examined every bit of his chair. He reckoned that if there was ever an eject button, they would have found it at that point and they'd gone all around his desk. He was, you know, always good humoured Malin, but uh, he was funny about it. And of course, there was the legendary story that I'm sure grew legs, Lynn, of the the work experience journalist from the UK who was over and who reckoned he'd found that secret you know, room at the Secret Service headquarters in the Europa Hotel and had supposedly tied together sheets from a room above it and abseil down the side of the Europa. I mean, there were these crazy stories, crazy stories. Clinton, though, went to Ballybunion first. Ballybunion is gas. Uh, so we both know Frank Quilter. Yeah. He was the, yeah. he, he owned the hotel down there. I think he had a roller disco as well at one stage. Uh, there, there was a major... Bally Bunyan. Let me think now. Where did Bally Bunyan start? Oh, the Bally I, Bunyan. yeah, Bally Bunyan. The reason Bally Bunyan came up in the first place is because uh, Clinton was a huge golf fanatic. Love golf, absolutely love golf. And Bally Bunyan was one of the best golf place golf courses in the world. It's a Lynx golf course, and it was kind of by the by the time he was coming in the late nineties, it kind of had this legendary status. This guy Tom Watson who had won a load of these majors, used to come over and practice before he went to the British Open. So he really wanted to play golf. And how it came about was Dick Spring 
was in the government at that stage and he was in the foreign affairs. So I spoke to him and he, he's a great relationship with President Clinton. And he said, when you're going over to these meetings in the White House, you're trying to kind of get some common ground. So he ended up, they ended up speaking about golf and Bally Bunyan came up. And then he said every time he'd come over, he said often he'd be with Al Gore because that would be the thing you'd be foreign affairs minister would be with the vice president. But he said Clinton would always come in and it would always come up. When am I coming to play golf in Ballybunion? And then I think Frank Quilter, who was a legendary kind of a campaigner and lobbyist, got wind of this and they kind of did this huge campaign to get him over to Ballybunion. So when he first uh, arrived, his first visit, he was doing that famous speech in College Green in Dublin and Frank Quilter had managed to get a marching band somewhere. And what were they singing? They were singing some kind of a real Irish rebel song. And they marched down through with placards, you know, come to Ballybunion or whatever, um, <laughs> through the crowd. And with it, then they picked up a few Americans kind of on the way and they ended up in the front row. And he kind of uh, shout, give them a shout out. Because what had happened was he was supposed to play that first visit. But Jean Kennedy had called Dick Spring in who was, Jean Kennedy was the ambassador here at the time, and she said that it had to be cancelled because he had to go and visit the American troops. The Bosnian War was going on at that stage, and he had to go and visit them when they were, where they were stationed in Europe, so kind of had to be cancelled last minute. But he kind of pointed at the Ballybunion signs. He gave them a shout-out from the crowd, and he said, you know, I'll be back, basically. So when he came back in, in 98, it, he was pencilled in. And now at that stage, Dick Spring was out of power, but he was still had a very good relationship with um, President Clinton. But this time, Bertie Hearn wasn't going, he says, wasn't going to let him just swan off and have a game of golf with, with Clinton on his own. So Charlie McCreevy was dispatched. And then there was the, uh, the, 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 the captain of the golf course and the um, Christy... O'Connor. Connor, yeah. So that was, it was a five ball. It was supposed to be a four ball, but it was a, a, a five ball. So the first inkling really that the, the townspeople got was when these, they were sitting in their houses after Sunday mass and, and these uh, six helicopters in formation roared over the town. But apparently they were getting a kind of a scoping it out for possible threats. Pre-drones, I suppose, to try and see what the roads into it and all were like. Yes. And they, they went to the, you know, they did the usual, they went to every house, they went to the um, the golf club, completely cased the place out. Um, so Brian is interesting, the, 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 the captain of the golf club, because again, they were there for a few weeks, kind of sussing all this out. And the night before he came, they were, there was guards all over the place. Apparently they found loads of golf balls, but they were literally going through every kind of trail of grass. grass. Yeah, over mm. the golf. And then it overlooked the bay of Ballybunion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he said when they, when they took off on their um, golf game, that I think one of the first tees or second tee, they were looking out onto the bay and there was this kind of uh, steel hulled ship cruising off in the distance and Dick Spring kind of pointed over and he joked to, to President Clinton. He said, that's a quarter of our Navy looking after you. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, it would probably fit in Air Force One. And Absolutely. So they were they were doing this, and then the agents were kind of following them, but they were unobtrusive. But uh, the 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 golf club captain also noticed that there was this truck thing in front of them, moving very slowly, and he wasn't quite sure 
what was in that. Brian McCarthy was his name. He wasn't quite sure what was in that, but there was something there, you know, if anything mm. happened that it would... Uh, Probably a load of uh, Uzi-wielding Secret Service men ready to pounce should anything happen. So they kind of, I mean, they did secure these places and, you know, maybe the Secret Service agents would tell you the more rural these places are, the easier they are to secure. Um, I wonder... I'm sure they have stories to tell themselves about their experiences in Ireland. There's been a couple of reports of some of them having a few pints after they've clocked off and this kind of thing. Did we ever get to the bottom of that story in Belfast and the Europa Hotel and the abseiling? Do you think it grew legs? Could have grown legs. Well, yeah, but the story wasn't it that he abseiled down and then there was he, he there was some secret service men with guns looking out the window at him. But we, we, we kind of got it on good authority, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We did. We got it almost almost firsthand, I think you could say. So all these stories are contained in, in the book Green and White House, along with loads of other anecdotes and funny and interesting things and experiences that happen to normal people when the presidents came to town. I mean, that's really the charm of this book, isn't it? That these are the stories of ordinary people whose lives sometimes are changed forever just by, you know, either their their ancestry being discovered or a president coming to visit. Yes. And one other thing which was quite amazing about this is is the, the Ollie Hayes and Henry Healy. Their uh, adventures in Washington with President Obama, because I was listening to the radio one day and Damien Lewis was mentioning that he was in the White House, you know, and he was sitting opposite Obama and he couldn't believe, you know, that he had an audience with him. And it was just so amazing. And what struck me about when I was talking to Ollie Hayes and Henry Healy was they were over there nearly half a dozen times. They were invited mm-hmm. every year. They were like guests of honour at the St. Patrick's Day celebrations. And the, the first year they were invited over was after Barack Obama came to Moneygall and he took a real fondness for them, a real liking to them. And they arrived over and they were in New York and they were supposed to do some sightseeing in New York with the these awfully crowd. And then they got a phone call from, kind of a mysterious phone call from a, a secret agent. And he, they said to change the plans, President Obama wants you up today and you're not to tell anyone where you're going just arrive here, to, you know, to the White House. So they arrive into the White House and they meet this White House staffer and they're brought out to this, his private quarters. And the White House staffer says they'd never been to the White, the, the private quarters before. And then they have a, there's a kind of a menu and they're given some dinner. And then he comes out kind of in this bomber jacket, real casual looking. And he, he says they, they've just been told before and he wants to bring them for a pint to return the favour. So... So they get into the back. They think they're going in a different car. And he says, no, no, come in my car. So they're in one of these kind of cars, like the Beast, these armoured cars that have huge protection on them. And they're driving down. And the thing with him going for a point is the whole of Washington is kind of shut down. All the streets that he will be on. Are sh- so the, the, they're driving down these deserted streets with the president. And they're having this conversation with him. And he's kind of talking to them about parenting the kids and having chit-chat. And then he kind of asks them, what do they really think of Enda Kenny? You know, and they're kind of going, oh, you know, they're kind of being diplomatic because they reckon they'll meet Enda Kenny later on at these St. Patrick's Day events. And then, you know, in a bit of a gap in the conversation, Henry says, you know, he's kind of asking what's going on in Ireland. And he ends up saying it was a bit of a scandal over septic tanks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
that you know so it's obviously it's septic tanks i think some some charge come in for septic <laughs> tanks or something right. and they had a conversation about this and so they arrive anyway at this pub i think it was the dubliner bar in washington and they arrive in and uh president obama ca- catches ollie's arm on the way in and he said now ollie keep an eye on the agent if anything happens they were given these badges they were in this ring of protection anyway you know if anything happened and then they went in then the St. Patrick's Day crowd kind of burst into a pause and kind of said three more beers, you know, instead of three more years. So four more years. Um, and they got their pints of Guinness and there was photos taken. And now he didn't drink his pint of Guinness because he said to them, privately, if he drank the pint of Guinness, he could get stick off the Washington Press Corp, you know, for drinking on the job. And they, then they piled back into the car and they um, went up the road and he was pointing out different things and they pointed out, you know, some homeless people and the kind had really kind of a casual conversation but they ended up going to a a do that night and they were back in the uh the rose garden and around the white house again and they were walking down with these staffers and i think um they had some more relations with them at this stage and kind of president obama comes up behind them and he was like hi guys how you doing kind of thing you know as if they were kind of old pals and you know michelle obama greeted them with a big hug and a kiss and kind of said that they were family um and th- so that was that one. But, and then they ended up going off with the Irish ambassador. And uh, oh, he. So amazing life experiences. Yeah. But the funny thing about that was they arrived back the following year for the inauguration and they didn't tell anybody because they just wanted to kind of go under the radar and just arrive for the inauguration for his second term. And um, when they got there, they got this phone call and there was an agent on the other end of the phone. And they were like, Ollie, uh, what, are, what are you doing coming in here? Like, why didn't you tell us? You know, and he so they kind of rumbled that he was in the country, and then he was invited to all the all the balls. So he, he can't go to he can't go to the, the states without being uh, picked up by the Secret Service. I'd be quite happy with that. I think. Yeah, exactly. So that was that was funny. Yeah. So yeah. So that was there. They 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 were interesting just because they were on the opposite end of the the spectrum. They were getting the whole Washington experience. Well, it's kind of nice as well to see that it wasn't just you know a photo op. That there was something deeper there, and maybe that's why. These, the presidents, the ones who have found the Irish ancestry links and that like Ireland so much that they can conduct this sort of more ongoing relationship. And obviously, and finally, Joe Biden, who hasn't visited yet in his role as president, but he has really made a connection here. And there's hopes that he'll visit next year, maybe. And uh, no doubt he'll form a chapter for the uh, the second edition of this book. Absolutely, yeah. He he's seen as kind of the most Irish of all presidents since President Kennedy. He's only the second Catholic president, funny enough, because there's there's kind of in the book there's twenty three or so that you know have links, not all totally copper fastened, but the majority of them would be Protest, Protestant. So he's and then it, it's only the more recent ones that would have um, links to the south. All the all the earlier ones would have had links to the north of Ireland. So he's he's hugely he. When as we were just talking about uh, President Obama when they went to the inauguration that time, Ollie Hayes and Henry Healy, and they were in the line. They met Joe Biden, and he was kind of saying, "Ollie, you know, get the president, ask the president, can I go to visit Ireland? You know, get him to to allow me to go." And he's he's kind of saying, "Oh, Joe, we have a lot of work to do," kind of thing. But he did come as vice president, and he visited all his um his you know Mayo and and Loud, and now we've found this new new relation in Galway and then but the interesting thing is he came back as vice president he's a really strong attachment on his own 
And the funny thing about the presidents is none of them can drive. When you're president, you can't drive. So that Dick Spring said, you know, he nearly used to have a row with President Clinton over getting into the golf buggy. He loved driving the golf buggy because he could never drive. So when when uh, President Biden came back, vice president at that stage, he uh, he drove his own car up to the, the pub in Loud and kind of went in and met people again. It was much more casual. He had a few Secret Service agents with him. But I imagine he, he absolutely, most certainly, will be back. There's something very Irish about there always being a pub at the centre of everything, isn't there? Um, it's kind of like, it's quite charming, really, that, you know, the pub's history in, in rural villages in particular as more than just a drinking place. It's a, a place of socialisation and where people get company and you know, conversations and friendships happen. It's quite nice, really, in a way that there's a pub at the centre of all these stories. Yeah, because he doesn't drink at all. So he didn't do the requisite pint of Guinness. He just, I think he had a Coke or something like that. But he, but the funny enough, Lily Filligan's the pub in the Cooley Peninsula where he visited, they reckon his kind of ancestral house would have been just a few hundred yards away. So almost certainly they would have drank there, his relations. So- we can expect the Cooley Peninsula is going to be having some visits in the near future of some suited and uh, very serious looking chaps who will be going through every blade of grass, every home and where anybody with hidden firearms will have to hand them over. And also, remember, no Aaron Cardigans. No Aaron Cardigans. Well, look, Lynn, thanks very much. Um, Green and White House, uh, brilliant book dipping in and out of it myself throughout the month but there's loads of really interesting gems of stories from from Ireland and, and our connections with the President so thank you very much and well done on the book Thank you You've been listening to Crime World a podcast from sundayworld.com produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me Nicola Talent If you like the podcast and love true crime Why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday world if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday world responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.